Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. And welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine. And like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Earlier this month, the U.S. Department of Agriculture reported that some 15% of Maine households were food insecure. That is, they lacked access to enough food to ensure adequate nutrition. On this program, we'll try to better understand how hunger and food insecurity affect our state, review some of the programs designed to help us address those concerns, and take a look at how local communities are responding through local food pantries and by growing extra vegetables in the 2011 Maine Harvest for Hunger. And we have some guests um, who can help us with that. Um, here in the studio, we have Katie Friedman of Healthy Acadia, Kate McGinn of the Bar Harbor Food Pantry, and Marjorie Peranto of University of Maine Cooperative Extension, a colleague of mine in the Hancock County office. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. On the phone with us, we have Donna Yellen. Donna is with Preble Street, an organization based in Portland, and uh, glad to have Donna with us by phone. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Ron. I can barely hear you, so I'll see. There we go. Thank you. That's better. That's wonderful. Thank you. Donna, tell us a little bit about Preble Street, and then I want to ask you a little bit about an article that you wrote for the Maine Policy Review uh, called Hunger in Maine. But start with a uh, description of Preble Street. Sure, thanks. Um, Preble Street is a social services organization in Portland that um, is, provides uh, services to people who are struggling with homelessness, hunger, and poverty, and advocates for solutions to those problems. We have been running meal programs for um, providing food, um, hot meals, and then a food pantry for people for over 30 years uh, in the Portland area. And just a couple of years ago, we launched the Maine Hunger Initiative, which is looking at uh, hunger on alleviating hunger on a larger scale throughout Maine. Hmm. And how long have you been involved in this work? What's your what what has been your path into this work? I'm a social worker, and I've been at Preble Street for over 16 years. And I um, I've been working. I'm the director of the Maine Hunger Initiative uh, for the past two years. Hmm. And and in in the field of social work, um, is it rare to to focus on on uh, hunger as a as an issue, or is it more broadly focused? What's social work all about? <laughs> so, uh, so 
social work is is about assisting, you know, um, helping people determine, find what they, you know, uh, need and want in their lives to to help them have healthy, happy, productive lives. And it's also about advocating for solutions to uh, social problems hmm. that affect people. And so we um, at uh, in in Maine, we noticed, you know, we've been doing a lot at Preble Street. We've been doing a lot of direct anti-hunger work in Cumberland County, but we noticed that there is, you know, we're one of the few states that didn't at this time have any statewide effort dedicated solely to um, policy and, uh, around hunger issues. Mm. And so we joined with the AARP, the Maine Council of Churches, the Maine Center for Economic Policy, Maine Equal Justice Partners, and the Muskie School of Public Service to uh, initiate this main hunger initiative to look for solutions. Mm. And um, at the top of the program, I mentioned the United States Department of Agriculture's findings. In your report, you cite 2010 figures. Tell us a little, a little bit about what um, Maine's rate of hunger is and, and uh, the, the connection to food security. Yeah. Sadly, um, Maine has increased in, our, in hunger uh, the amount of our um, our neighbors experiencing hunger and food insecurity. The USDA just released this um, their numbers a couple weeks ago, and we increased, um, as you mentioned earlier, to um, for food insecurity to 15% of Mainers, which is um, which is about 83,600 households in Maine suffering from food insecurity which is greater than the total population of Maine's five largest cities combined. Mm. So the USDA, to go back a little bit, the USDA has been measuring food insecurity for over 15 years. And they have two categories, which are sort of important conversations about them. One is called food insecurity, and the other is called very low food security. Very low food security is what historically had been called hunger and it was changed, that name was changed back in the 90s to reflect a broader definition of, uh, of food struggles. But so hunger, or very low food security, is about literally eating less, skipping meals, or having no food in the house. Mm. Um, so it's over, so it's missing multiple meals over an extended period of time. Uh, food insecurity includes that group of people who experience hunger, and it adds a group of people who consistently have to worry about getting about if their money is going to last to get enough food. They actually have um, reduced quality and variety of their diet. It might be like the mother who has literally nothing in the household except, you know, at the end of the month except potatoes, and she gives her children three meals a day, but they're all potatoes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So that's a broader definition. That's food insecurity. In Maine, we have... um, uh, we we are the one. If we have seven percent rate of hunger in Maine, one in six households in Maine have experienced hunger, um, according to the USDA's most recent most recent uh, rating. And um, we are sixth in the nation for levels of of hunger. We're the we're the sixth worst in the nation. You know, the fir- the, in, the first five rankings are are states like Alabama and Arkansas, Mississippi, you know, Oklahoma and Texas. And then it's Maine. Mm. So we have a dismal, dismal, um, you know, uh, rate of hunger and, and a serious problem with it. As, as we think about hunger, um, 
over over the past uh, number of years, um, going back 20 or 30 years, we've um, seen changes, um, I think, at first, really increases in government um, support um, around this issue, but perhaps now that's shifting as well. Correct, correct. Actually, um, there have been decreases in, um, in major supports to, uh, to uh, poor people in our country since uh, the 80s and the 90s that has affected um, hunger and also homelessness, um, which Preble Street is, you know, is highly aware of. So it is, um, you know, we have, um, there's, there are pro, uh, governmental programs that support, you know, anti-hunger efforts. And we just, and I can talk about some of them if you'd like, but that is, there's, you know, we need to, have, we need to strengthen them and uh, have more of them. It would be helpful, I think, for our listeners to, to kind of see the, the, the array of programs, um, perhaps starting with what used to be called food stamps. Yes. Um, that would be useful as a, as a survey, yes. Sure, sure. The, um, what used to be called food stamps, it has been, their name was changed to um, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or you often refer to as SNAP on the federal level. In Maine, we chose to, we choose to call this program the Food Supplement Program. So the food, and or, or often known, referred to as Food Sup, and that's exactly what it is. It's a supplemental program, um, and it's not of benefits, and it's not meant to be the only resource in uh, for to make it through the month uh, for food. So, but um, however, the, the SNAP program is the most significant resource for fighting hunger that we have. It's an excellent program, and it actually, the U.S. Census, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, because of SNAP benefits throughout the nation, 3.9 million people were lifted out of poverty when they added in the SNAP benefits. So it's an extremely successful program. Another um, very uh, common program that many people know about and that's very successful is our WIC program, again, another federal program, and that's a supplemental nutrition assistance program also for women, for pregnant women, lactating women, um, and infants and children, and that has also been very successful. And there are other, there's a complex system of, of other uh, federal programs that help, like commodity foods, that help with food pantries, and, um, and school programs in throughout for, that come through the federal government. In the state government, an important one for us to know right now and be aware of for our neighbors is the general assistance program. In Maine, every, every community, every town in Maine has a general assistance program, and that is especially vital today with the economic downturn. And it is a last-stop um, assistance for people to be able to get assistance when they have no other resources. And they assist people, the GA program assists people with, um, with, uh, food sup- with food assistance. And what's important for us to know about that is it's a little-known program in many, to, you know, to many people, and yet it's being targeted to be on the chopping block by our main state legislature. So, you know, anybody, people should be letting their legislators, their senators know that it is vital um, to keep... Uh, GA protected and the safety net protected for our hungry neighbors. As you and your colleagues um, wrote this article for the Maine Policy Review, you began to look at um, how local communities, mostly um, I think in your case in the southern Maine area, um, were beginning to respond to both the rise in hunger but also um, the the lessening of federal support. What kinds of things did you observe as you kind of uh, wrote a summary of, of what was going on? 
Well, the, the, the lessening of federal support, like, hit us hard just, uh, you know, a little over a month ago with um, the cut to Maine's EFSP uh, monies. That stands for Emergency Food and Shelter Program, and that's actually part of a FEMA budget. And many people may know that FEMA was uh, slashed in the spring um, by, the, uh, by Congress, and the and EFSP monies, which is the only federal pot of monies that many food pantries and emergency fooding, feeding systems have access to, um, was, uh, was cut by 40%. In Maine, two things happened. So we had this major cut. Maine, and they created a new formula, which actually um, is is uh, lean is seems to us to um, to be biased against rural states. Maine got a 57% cut in those funding for that is primarily used for food. Six Maine counties were zero funded this year. So including um, Hancock County, where WERU is out of. So we went from, and the, uh, and the odd thing, too, about this new formula that they used is that there's, there's um, Maine took a 57% cut, and uh, other New England states were the hungriest state in New England. The other New England states, on average, only um, got cut 24%. So we, we are, you know, communicating with our, um, our delegation about that inappropriate formula and how to be able to assist um, assist more rural states. But that is one example of many, Ron, that of federal programs that are being cut and slashed, and, and we are seeing it. <laughs> Everybody there in the studio, I'm sure, can say just as well as I, the lines in our food pantries and our feeding programs, they are longer than they have ever been. Mm. And, and um, we're going to let you go in just a minute, but if people are interested more um, in, in learning more, um, they can certainly go to this ex- excellent article in the Maine Policy Review, which is, is uh, probably um, online. Um, how about your organization, not, not just Preble Street, but the coalition? The, um, uh, oh, to uh, find out information about the Maine Hunger Initiative yes. Um, Partnership? Yes, thank you. Um, the, you can access information about that at Maine's. At um, org and under the Maine Hunger Initiative, there's access to that information too. So, what's ahead for you? What are the what are the the initiatives um, that you and your colleagues are working on next? Well, we are trying to communicate first of all to get people thinking about alleviating hunger in a different way. You know, it is you know the charitable efforts about hunger have been you know we wouldn't be able to make it without our neighbors who have just who who you know, volunteer day in, day out at food pantries, you know, across and soup kitchens across the state and doing these heroic efforts that they get little recognition for in church basements and town halls, and that's absolutely vital to keeping our neighbors fed. But we really believe that it's, um, that it's policy that needs to change to really alleviate hunger. And if anybody thinks about things like um, water systems, you know, a hundred years ago there wasn't water in every community. Now there is. Or fire um, prevention systems. A hundred years ago, again, there were major fires that our country were decimating major cities, including even Portland. We instituted. There was political will and public desire to end major city, to end major fires, to you know, to every community have running water. In a country such as ours, we have every ability to have to alleviate hunger, to end hunger successfully. In the meanwhile, towards getting towards that, there are things that we can be doing. 
We can, um, there's lots of um, opportunities to optimize um, our access to federal nutrition programs. Our summer meal programs is an example of that. There's available federal monies. We don't have, um, 60, only 16% of kids in Maine have access to summer meals that qualify for it. Um, when we, um, so there's those programs. We need to restore on a federal um, national level, we need to restore um, cuts to SNAP um, programs, and we also need to um, restore the EFSP. We need to protect general assistance, like I said earlier. And then in Maine, things like the EITC and the Circuit Breaker Program, child care credit, there's a lot of policy um, pieces that we need to strengthen and protect to keep Maine's families being able to have access to their to money to be able to, to eat so that they don't have to access for, uh, feeding programs. Mm. Well, thanks so much for uh, your work um, with the Maine Hunger Initiative there at Preble Street, and thanks for joining us here on Talk of the Towns, Donna. Thank you very much, Ron. Great. Uh, Donna Yellen of Preble Street and uh, the coordinator of the Maine Hunger Initiative, um, a statewide initiative, and you can find more information out by uh, going to the Preble Street uh, website. Well, back here in the studio, we're talking about uh, hunger in Maine and local responses. Again, I remind you that here in the studio, we have Marjorie Peranto of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension, one of my colleagues in the Hancock County office. Kate McGinn is here from the Bar Harbor Food Pantry, and Katie Friedman is with Healthy Acadia. Um, and glad to have each of you with us, uh, so just so that uh, folks get a, a sense of who's who's going to be speaking, why don't we uh, start with Katie Friedman and just say, uh, Katie, a little bit of background about yourself um, and, and Healthy Acadia, and then we'll go around the, the circle here. Sure. Thanks, Ron. Um, my name is Katie Friedman. I work for Healthy Acadia. I am the Food, Farm, and Nutrition Coordinator. Um, so I coordinate all of our um, nutrition programming um, and um, helping connect people to healthy sources of food around Hancock County. Um, Healthy Acadia is a community health coalition. Um, we've been in operation since 2001. Um, we now serve all of Hancock County, um, providing essential public health services, chronic disease prevention, um, tobacco cessation support, um, and substance abuse um, prevention services, um, and as in addition to our physical activity and nutrition initiatives. So we cover a broad range of, um, of health-related um, um, work and um, uh, my work focuses on um, nutrition as I said I coordinate the farm to school program here in Hancock County um, we also have a food supporting seniors program um, among others that I that I work with and we'll come back and talk about your work with food pantries in, in just a minute um, uh, uh, Marjorie Peranto um, a little bit of your background and, and your connection to this issue of, of food Okay. Um, I am based in the Hancock County Office of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension, and the primary programming that I do is to teach people about horticulture, how to grow their own food, how to landscape with native plants, um, get rid of invasive species, things like that. And I uh, coordinate a Master Gardener volunteer program, which is an intensive training in horticulture in exchange for those people going out and volunteering in the community. Um, helping uh, with a number of different projects, but one of them is to help alleviate hunger. Great, great. We'll come back to you in, in a few minutes as well. And uh, Kate McGinn, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your um, interest in, in uh, hunger and food and your connection to the Bar Harbor Food Pantry. 
Um, hi, I'm Kate McGinn. I, uh, I've been with the Bar Harbor Food Pantry for just over eight years now, and um, it started off as a very small position, sort of a side interest of mine, and once I got involved in the food pantry, I realized that there was a lot more work involved than most people understood, and started talking with my board about how to expand our program, uh, because there was a lot of areas that needed more attention. And so it's been really interesting to watch the whole organization blossom into um, this full, full-fledged, full-board, big line of volunteers, you know, managing money, managing all these different aspects that make this one organization provide food for our community members that need the help. So. Great. We'll come back and again learn more about the Bar Harbor Food Pantry and your efforts in just a minute. But Katie, you uh, have been, in, in, through Healthy Acadia, you've been involved in, in looking at food pantries in Hancock County um, over really the past six or seven years, I think. Uh, tell us a little bit about that work and, and what you found as you've looked at food pantries. Um, Healthy Acadia did some research back in 2007 um, in partnership with Healthy Peninsula, and um, it was Heather Albert Knopf that led that research at the time, and I was sort of peripherally involved. Um, but we did produce a, um, a, a report. It's called Food for Thought. Food for Thought. Um, I believe it's available on Healthy Acadia's website. Um, and um, the the process of um, producing this report involved um, interviewing um, food pantry clients from I believe 11 pantries around the county um, and um, I believe about 70 or 80 people were interviewed um, and it was really trying to um, um, get a grasp on you know what what were people really facing in their um, in their daily lives and their struggles related to food um, and was food security really an issue in Hancock County because at the time um, it wasn't really something that was talked about as much as it is today and it wasn't really well known um, I think to a, to a lot of people um, it was it was very much invisible to um, a, a large segment of the community um, particularly in the coastal communities where um, um, that that people you you know, um, think of as the, the wealthier parts of the county, such as Bar Harbor and Blue Hill and those areas. Um, and what we found was that food insecurity indeed um, exists in every community in Hancock County, um, and um, I including those coastal communities. Um, at, at the time, food uh, food stamp or SNAP participation rates were um, ha had um, undergone a, a dramatic increase, um, and as Donna mentioned, they, they, those rates continue to increase. Um, and we found that 73% of um, the folks that were interviewed at the time um, indicated that they often or sometimes worried about whether their food would run out um, before they got more. So those are people who were visiting food pantries already. Um, they, they may have already been receiving SNAP benefits, um, and, and they were still struggling mm -hmm. um, to make end, end, ends meet. And um, another um, important finding was that um, half of all families in um, Hancock County at the time were earning less than a livable wage. Um, so we looked at the median income for Hancock County, which was about $38,000, and we looked at what the Maine legislature at the time defined as a livable wage. Um, so the, the, the appropriate income level for a family of four to be at, um, to be able to access all of the, the food and um, other um, necessities that they require to thrive, um, that was actually at $52,000 a year. 
Um, so at the medium, median income of 38,000, half of families in, in Hancock County were earning below a livable wage. Mm -hmm. So as you looked at those results, um, one of the responses was, well, how can we support food pantries in, in this county? And you and others, and Marjorie, you've been involved in that and kind of bringing the food pantries together. Um, what was that like? Uh, what, have, what have you learned in that process? Um, the food pantry, the Hancock County Food Pantry Network um, actually um, was formed a few years before this research was done um, uh, back in 2004, I believe, was when it began meeting. Um, and the um, Cooperative Extension has, um, since the beginning, played a, a key role in convening that network. Um, and um, it's been a, a great avenue for all of the food pantries um, that we now have, um, I believe, 14 food pantries in Hancock County. Um, um, all of them participate um, when they can. We don't have every pan pantry present at every meeting, of course, um, but the, the group meets quarterly. Um, and over the years, they've been able to undertake a number of joint initiatives that have benefited um, food pantries. In 2008, we organized a legislative breakfast um, that was very successful. Healthy Acadia was able to present some of these findings um, from our report, and, um, and also it, it gave the pantries an opportunity to um, have a conversation with their legislators and legislative candidates at the time to um, really talk about the issues that they're facing, the increases in, um, in, in clients that they had been seeing, and, and what are some things that could um, be done at the state level to... Um, so this twin interest in, in practical um, providing of food and then the policy questions. Uh, um, did you observe some things that made um, some food uh, pantries successful? What were some of the characteristics of a successful food pantry? I suppose all of them are successful in that the fact that they're getting, getting food out the door. What were some of the things that you observed in looking at the food pantry operations? Um, well, it's really interesting how different um, a lot of the pantries are and how differently they operate. Um, and it seems like every pantry, you know, has its struggles and its successes. Um, there are a couple of pantries, including the Bar Harbor Food Pantry, that operate um, um, clothing resale shops um, that help fund their, um, their, their ongoing operations and provision of food. So that's the Tree of Life and the Bar Harbor Food Pantry both have, have uh, clothing outlets that help. Yes, yeah, so yeah. listeners tuning in, please... Please visit those shops, um, the, the Tree of Life in um, Blue Hill and Serendipity in Hulls Cove. Um, and um, um, other pantries operate on a completely different um, voucher-based system. The Westside Food Pantry in Southwest Harbor um, gives out vouchers that are then redeemed at, at local grocery stores for food. Um, and, then, and then most pantries operate on a, you know, um, they have food in their, in their pantries and, and people come and um, you know, each pantry is different. At some pantries, people come in and, and they get to select what they want off the shelves. And other pantries, they come in and they receive a prepackaged um, bag of food. And it depends on the volunteer capacity and the, the space, <laughs> the physical capacity of each pantry. Mm. And, and, and did you find anything about the origins of these food pantries? How, how did people start, you know, getting together to organize themselves around uh, food? I know I know much less about that. Um, mm -hmm. I know a little bit about um, how the Bar Harbor Food Pantry was formed because I am a board member there. Um, but I might let Kate talk okay. about that a little bit more because she's definitely um, knows more about that um, early history than I do. But uh, many pantries I know are are supported by local churches, mm. um, including the Bar Harbor Pantry, which has been very well supported by six local churches. Um, in, in Bar Harbor and the surrounding communities. Mm -hmm. So it seems like people are, are responding to a felt need, a, an observable need, that people are hungry in our community. 
we want to respond. Uh, makes logical sense to, mm-hmm. to do that. So let's, uh, in a moment, just um, we'll hear more about the Bar Harbor Food Pantry. Um, we are tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning on WERU here in the studio. You've just heard from Katie Friedman of Healthy Acadia, and we'll come back to her in a few moments. Um, Marjorie Peronto of uh, University of Maine Cooperative Extension, and she's been involved in, in uh, the Maine Harvest for Hunger, um, program supported by Cooperative Extension, and Kate McGinn of the Bar Harbor Food Pantry. Um, in the second half hour, we urge you to, to uh, both listen and uh, call in if you'd like to share your experience, your questions, your feedback. Um, the number, toll-free number is 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378. Um, Kate McGinn, maybe you could uh, give us that uh, sto- the, the origin story of the Bar Harbor Food Pantry. You might not have been around, but you got involved uh, um, uh, along the way. What, how did Bar Harbor Food Pantry get started? Well, as far as I can understand, I've, um, I believe it's been in existence really for over 20 years now. Um, as I said, I've only been with the pantry for eight years, but in looking back over in the old uh, binders and <laughs> notes and things that were taken, um, it seems to me that it was started in the basement of the First Baptist Church, and just a few people got together and realized that there were some people just within their church community that could use a little help. And once it began, and they were helping these few families, then mm. word got out, and a few more families were calling, and it just started this operation that was run out of the basement for years and years. And I believe just the space got too small and they started looking out into the community. And, um, and other what, churches got involved? And other churches. So the, what they did was they made an effort and wrote to five of other churches and said, we see a bigger problem here and we mm. are no longer able to manage this ourselves. Would you like to join efforts mm. and um, really try to build this up and be able to provide something for our community community members who need us? And then the YWCA uh, had a space that had been used for the Head Start program that was no longer there, and so they had a space available, and um, that's where the food pantry moved to, and it's a great little spot. And mm. So how, what's the operation like now? If, if, uh, if I were needing food, um, uh, how would I know about the uh, Bar Harbor Food Pantry? Um, what would the interaction be if I showed up when you distributed food? Well, one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is having our door open to anyone who needs food. Uh, We are open to all Hancock County members, um, and so people from other counties, we we have information about other food pantries, Mm. and we encourage them to go there because of, you know, space and funding and all of that. But um, we also really encourage all of our volunteers to always have a smile on their face. You know, everything's private in there, but it's also just, it's not a shameful thing to come in and Mm. ask for help. And we get a lot of response from the people using the pantry that they're always so comfortable there and they might walk in the first time not too certain of how it's going to go, but by the time they leave, they're usually pretty happy and... Um, it's a very simple thing. We don't really ask a lot of questions. We have a little card that we have people fill out. Um, mostly that's just so we can track uh, the towns that people are coming from, how many people are from this area, this area, and the number of family members that mm-hmm. they're looking to support. And that just helps us with our statistics so that mm-hmm. when we report back to our people. Your funders. Our funders, right. that we have some some 
figures for them to look at, and most people are pretty startled by them. Right. As Katie was saying, I, I think still in the Bar Harbor area, people are just surprised that there's a food pantry that exists, period, and then when they find out how many people use it, right. are a little flabbergasted. <laughs> so how many people use it, and, and how would you uh, quantify, if you will, the amount of food or the amount of uh, support that you give to, to uh, area residents? Well, on average, we have about 130 families who come through every month. And 130? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. those are families, and mm-hmm. some of those are single-person households, but a lot of them are uh, households with four or more people in them. Um, so overall, I think it ends up being about 375 people mm-hmm. that are benefiting from the service that we provide. Mm-hmm. And and what what um, would an average family receive on a what, when food is distributed? Could you quantify that at all? Is that a uh, something that amounts to thirty dollars or fifty dollars or what's what's the value of food? If we, we were going to the supermarket, we'd know <laughs> what it costs on the shelves. Well, we've actually every couple of years we will do that. We'll um, go through and pack up a box with what we're offering people, and one of our wonderful volunteers will go to the grocery store and price everything out so that we can have a figure in our head. And so. We figure we're giving about 100 to $120 of food to a single-person household and hopefully more up in the $200 range to mm. larger families. So that raises the question, how do you get those resources? Where do you get <laughs> food and money to pay for food? Well, um, most of our food that we have on our shelves comes from the Good Shepherd Food Bank um, out of Auburn. And um, that is food that we buy. We purchase it every month. We have a monthly order with them. And they bring us a big truckload of food. And that's, um, I think we've established it's about 90% of the food on our shelves comes from the Good Shepherd Food Bank. And so part of the work that we have to do is raising funds to pay for those orders and as well as all of our other operational expenses. Um, so we've had folks from uh, Good Shepherd on our show before remind us how they acquire their food. They've got a, they've got a large warehouse operation, mm-hmm. basically. Where does their food come from? Do, do they have to pay for their food? They do have to pay for their food. And um, it was it is my understanding that um, years ago they used to acquire a lot more donated items from larger stores, um, Hannaford and Walmart and things like that, when there would be damaged packaging that would be passed on to the Good Shepherd Food Bank, and then that would be passed on to the smaller food pantries at a really low cost. But with uh, quality control getting better and improving and uh, just the whole financial uh, situation of the state is changing, and so those donations have decreased for Good Shepherd, so they have had to buy into some programs so that they can keep their inventory up for the food pantries. Mm. But the um, increase in cost that they have seen we have also seen, too. Right. So we've had to really step up our fundraising efforts to try to keep the same amount of food on our shelves that we've had in the past. And that has been a big challenge. And are you seeing more families than when you started um, in eight years ago? More families come into the food pantry? Definitely more families. And in the last couple, two or three years, it's been more fam- This is was a big eye-opener for me, is I have seen families come in who both parents were working and everything was going fine and someone lost their job or somebody got hurt and they didn't have the insurance to cover them while they were missing work or some reason that they had to come in because they had to help get food on the table for their family and um, just it's just you know when you think 
that that's this whole other pocket of people and right. it's never going to happen to you. It really has struck me how quickly things can change for yes. people. Yes. And uh, Katie mentioned that uh, you're one of the food pantries that uses a um, kind of a supplement um, to your your fundraising by operating a retail um, used clothing shop. Tell mm -hmm. us about Serendipity. Well, that was something that when actually when I first started going to the food pantry network meetings and I started hearing about the Blue Hill operation and how how well they're able to support their food pantry through the funds raised from their secondhand clothing store, I got really interested mm -hmm. and um, started talking about it a little bit here and there with this person and that person and pretty soon it blossomed into this full idea and we started moving forward with it and it's been it's been an interesting experience. I've learned a lot about running a little business on the side and that that also takes quite a bit of work. So I um, am so grateful for the number of volunteers that we have that maintain that store. Um, at this particular point, we've just finished our second year of operations, so we are not um, budgeting in a whole lot of money yet to the food pantry, but we look at this as a long-term thing, and um, we hope to each year increase the amount we're able to provide into the food pantry, and and uh, it's, it's exciting. It's Great. Fun. And you said that this, one of the sources of kind of pride is, is your volunteers. Tell us about how you connect with volunteers and, and, you know, something about the volunteer group that you have working with you. Well, um, as I had said, the food pantry itself started through, there was a, a big ch uh, church foundation. So for, in the food pantry, we still have a lot of um, church connections. Mm -hmm and the churches provide volunteers for us every month. They've put the schedule together for us, and so I've gotten to know a lot of um, community members in that area. The nice thing about the serendipity is it reached out to this whole other mm. larger group of people, and so I've now met a lot of other folks who just, you know, they wanted to support the food pantry, but they didn't know how. We do have really limited hours there, so they don't always fit in with someone else's schedule, so this has opened up a whole other area that people can still support the food pantry. And another thing we've realized is that in, in our measuring the success of serendipity, there's more to take into account than just the uh, financial mm. flow there. Because um, everybody are, who comes into the shop, you're able to educate about food security. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so that we've really been promoting that this last year too, as we are trying to reach our annual in, uh, budget that we need to come up with by the end of the year and we've realized serendipity is a great forum to mm. let people know we buy mm -hmm. a lot of our food and mm -hmm. it's expensive and we need to keep the money coming in to keep the whole operation moving along. Great. Well, we'll come back to you in a moment. Marjorie, uh, Marjorie Pronto is with Cooperative Extension and has been uh, helping people think about and growing vegetables for a, a number of years. There's always been some aspect of, of the Master Gardening Program that then figures out some community service and some of it ends up being uh, food. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and then how it evolved into the main harvest for hunger. Yes, okay. Um, Several years ago, we joined forces with the um, Garden Club Federation of America and got on board with their Plant a Row for the Hungry program, where Cooperative Extension in Maine just sort of did a coordinated effort, encouraging volunteers, community members, master gardener volunteers to just grow a little extra food in their home gardens 
and then we would provide them with the information of where the local pantries are, who the contact information, who the contact people were, when they were open, so that they could um, deliver that food to the pantry. Um, it's uh, the the name has now changed to the Maine Harvest for Hunger, and um, part of the reason for the name change is that the initiative has taken a little bit of a shift. We're still working with home gardeners and volunteers to grow extra food for the pantries, but we're also encouraging farms to get on board and allow groups of volunteers to come in after they've done their harvest to glean the fields and um, collect the leftover produce that might be in the field that didn't get harvested for some reason or another, and then um, pick through that, get the nice stuff, and bring that over to the food pantries as well. So we're getting a lot more pounds of food donated that mm. way. And uh, is there some um, number that you can assign to what, what's been accomplished in the past or, or this year? Well, I can say that the Maine Harvest for Hunger initiative, uh, we were able to grow, glean, and donate over 200,000 pounds of fresh produce last year. And if you put a dollar value to that, um, at $1.69 per pound, that's over $325,000 worth of fresh mm. food mm. that was, um, you know, made just moved to the right place by mm. volunteer efforts. That's great. I'll remind listeners that they can participate in our conversation this morning about hunger in Maine and local responses. Give us a call if you'd like with your insights, your experience, your questions, one 625 or locally at 469-0500. In the studio with us, we've just heard from Marjorie Peranto of Cooperative Extension. Kate McGinn is with us from the Bar Harbor Food Pantry and Katie Friedman from Healthy Acadia. Marjorie, what, what inspires your master gardeners to, to do this work, do you suppose? Well, a, a person that is willing to endure an intensive training in the middle of the winter on <laughs> how to garden, I mean, they schlep themselves to the extension office uh, week after week for 14 weeks. Um, they're a special type of person. And, um, you know, they take this course, yes, to become better gardeners, but also because they want to connect with others in their community and they want to give back. Mm. So it's a real easy sell, mm -hmm. you know. I talk with them uh, during the course of the training about the importance of addressing hunger in our communities, and just about everyone jumps on board in some way or another. So we've had a few community gardens crop up in the um, Hancock and Washington County region, which has been really great, not just master gardener initiatives, but whole community initiatives where master gardeners have played a key part. And they'll have a section of that garden where there will it will be um, devoted strictly to the main harvest for hunger there's one in uh, Hancock uh, whose the uh, harvest for hunger section is every week they harvest it and they bring it to the everybody eats program in Ellsworth um, it's a weekly free meal. And so they've come to really look forward to and kind of expect that produce every week. And it's, it's a really nice connection. That's great. We uh, have a, a phone call. We'll take that in just a minute, but I'll remind listeners they can participate as well. Give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. We have a caller. If you identify yourself by your first name and the town you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment. Hi, um, my name is Gordon, and I'm um, actually in Prospect, Waldo County, but uh -huh. the problem's national here. So, yes, um, I'm kind of curious. Um, my understanding is that uh, 
places like restaurants and delicatessens and places that sell food to go, um, they have a dating system on their food. And when the food exceeds that date, they have to throw it out, and yet and many times it's still edible. And I'm wondering, is there any kind of an effort to, um, to change the laws, if that's the problem, so that this food becomes available for those folks that are hungry? That's a great question. Thanks for thanks for calling this morning. I'll Let's see see if we get some some responses from that. I'll, I'll take this offline. If that's okay, okay, great. Thanks, Katie. How how does that situation? Uh, are you familiar with that kind of situation? I'm um, I'm definitely familiar with the situation, and um, and organizationally, I haven't seen um, many organizations that have been able to um, kind of act on that opportunity because there is so much food, um, you know, outside of just the the supermarkets or the gardens that is is also going to waste. Um, and personally, I'm not aware of any initiative to um, look at um, food safety regulations um, at at the national level. But I do know of um, at least one local initiative. Um, in the MDI area where uh, we have a, a, a resident there who is um, just absolutely dedicated to capturing as much food as he possibly can from from any source. And the food that he finds that's um, just, you know, it's past the expiration date and, and can't be consumed by food by, by people, um, he feeds to his animals, and he's actually in the past been able to donate, I believe, a whole pig mm-hmm. to the Bar Harbor Food Pantry um, that was primarily fed on food that he gleaned that would have otherwise gone to waste. Um, so that, that's at least one way that he's capturing that and, and still turning it into something that, that people who are in need can benefit from. So perhaps there are other callers who could respond to that. What happens to food? Is it just going into the, into the dumpster? Um, if the expiration for, for those groups that are preparing food, um, when we have it on our supermarket shelves, um, Kate, what, uh, what, what's your sense? Do you get uh, donations of food that is still safe, but um, might be, the, the, the date might be expired? or sell-by date is, is expired? Yeah, we do. Um, actually, I see less of that now. Um, but, yes, we do get food. Uh, well, we have all non-perishable goods, so it's not as much of a okay. um, concern for us. But we follow. I go to a safety training every year with the Good Shepherd Food Bank and learn about, you know, what is a what's acceptable damage to a container and what isn't. And sometimes I'll just call up the company and say, this is the expiration date. Is it okay? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want anything on our shelves that is going to be potentially dangerous right. to anyone. So right. we're, we try to be very careful about it. And do you ever, um, are you able to ever distribute prepared food? Um, just can't do that. Can't, we just can't, can't that. take that risk. Yep. Uh, we do have one of the um, restaurants in in the Bar Harbor area, the, um, what is it, Chow Main? Mm-hmm. She is really wonderful. She's always supported us, and she every month will um, put together fresh packages and individually package them, and we put them right in our freezer. So that's mm-hmm. the closest we've come to having a fresh food, but we still have to freeze it. And, and Right. Well, the, and that relates, and we'll come back to this. We'll take a phone call, but we'll come back to, uh, Katie, you've kind of done a survey and, and know of some work that... Um, might be called a free kitchen. Um, so that there may be a source of, of kind of food that needs to go right into people's homes. So, But let's take a phone call first. Uh, others can call at 1-866-625-9378. Uh, give us your, your name, uh, the town you're calling from, and go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, this is Frank over here in Lemoyne. Hey, Frank. Um, 
I'm part of the Everybody Eats uh, soup kitchen that Ron helped facilitate the first couple of meetings. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> and I just got through eating some cereal, but I put my strawberries on, which were I picked up Monday at the soup kitchen and brought home, and they're still good now. And they were out of date from Hannaford. Thank you, Hannaford. So we use a lot of out of, you know, I usually bring bread home. Usually I look at the dates, and it's usually the date that I pick it up is the date that it's out date. So there's lots of food available, and thanks to Mr. Downtown Brown there in Bar Harbor, a buddy of mine, he does lots of that, picking <laughs> up stuff. And we get a lot of food. Great. From Hannaford all of a sudden, and then we get it from the food bank up at the Unitarian Church. Um, so tell us a little bit about how Everybody Eats operates. What? Uh, tell us the basics of that. Well, the basics are we go in there on Monday morning and Prep the food, and people show up between 3 and 6 and eat it, um, <laughs> and, or take it home. And it's, I mean, our goal was, to begin with, at least my goal was, to stretch it out more than one day a week, but that hasn't happened because of whatever reason. And what, um, and what kinds of folks come to um, eat with you? All kinds of folk, a cross-section of people, I'd say. Even though I do think that we're missing, for some reason, you know, a lot of the people who are homeless here in the Hancock County either live in a car or out, live up behind uh, L.L. Bean, which is kind of a funny place to be living behind L.L. Bean, but that's where they live. Um, we know that. There's a bunch of homeless encampments here in the county. We don't seem to get them. I mean, most mm-hmm. of the cars in the parking lot looks like, um, and there's a lot of cars that are, you know, they're not homeless people. Okay, that way. yeah. But we're, but we're serving, you know, it's not just eating, it's also socialization right. skills for people who are shut-ins and so forth and so on. But the food's always good. Um, we've got a lot of food. To, and then we, you know, get food from the woman that mentioned something about Hancock kind of the garden there. That mm-hmm. Eugene usually always brings in a box of vegetables. Um, we always have fresh vegetables, a vegetarian dish. Um so that's everybody eats, and you um, serve that up on Mondays at, every at, every Monday, and yes. that is the location. Yes, that's the location. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that we could get a show here on the radio someday. But, you know, here I go again. I know I always have to put politics <laughs> in everybody's face, but it'd be nice. We got to get one of these days on the radio here, which is on there. The issue of why here in America mm. we're we're all scrapping around for food, which is I mean, you know, the underlying, why are we talking about this? The, we got to start addressing the underlying issues of why, every, you know, a lot of people are going hungry in America. That's right. You know. All right, I won't, I won't rant down. <laughs> no, that's great. Thanks so much for your call, Frank. And, and thanks for your work with, with uh, Everybody Eats in Blue Hill. Um, uh, Katie, um, you know about a couple of other, uh, Hancock County, and there may be others in our listening area, but who are uh, working on the basis of let's build our community by serving really great food and, and, and providing it for free. Absolutely. Um, it was so inspiring to see, um, I think two or three years ago, these three um, soup kitchens or free meal programs, whatever you want to call them, um, crop up in, um, in throughout Hancock County. Um, one in Southwest Harbor called the Common Good Soup Kitchen. Um, everybody eats in, in Ellsworth. And um, the name is all of a sudden escaping me in Blue Simmering Hill. Pot. The Simmering Pot yep. um, in Blue Hill. Um, and so th- they really independently 
of each other. Well, actually, it wasn't independently because Hadley Friedman probably got started first with Simmering Pot, and the others were inspired. Okay. <laughs> well, Hadley is certainly an inspiring person, so that's that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> um, so, but they they cropped up, you know, responding to some local need um, and. The um, common good in Southwest Harbor is the one that I know most about, um, and they operate um, in a really interesting way. They're they're located in an old restaurant, um, and in the summertime, they actually operated as a for-profit restaurant, and that raises a lot of their um, money for their their wintertime operations. Um, they serve soup and and salads and breads, and everything is absolutely delicious, made from scratch, wholesome. Um, um, they serve that um, um, free of charge, I believe, on Fridays. Um, and then throughout the winter, they've um, run a cabin fever series every Saturday evening. Live music, kids' activities, face painting, balloon animals, you name it. It's a good time, and people come out, and, and really um, it's it's a great opportunity to meet new people and, and really build community. They also do a, a great effort of delivering food to people who can't make it out to the to the um, meal events. Um, they they deliver food to people who need it. I believe that's actually how it got started. They just a few people um, um, inspired chefs had some neighbors in need and started making soup for them and and it, and it's really blossomed blossomed into a great. Mm. Uh, a great operation. Mm. We may have time for one more phone call, 1-866-625-9378. Perhaps your community is doing something innovative to respond to the issue of hunger in Maine. And I'll ask each of our guests uh, as we begin to uh, wrap up for their hopes. But is there contact information? Uh, Kate, start with you. How would people find out more about the Bar Harbor Food Pantry? Well, we have a website online. It is... uh, barharborfoodpantry.org <laughs> and uh, we also have a website for serendipity which is serendipityshop.org okay. um, so that has all of our basic information and yep. how to make donations and how to volunteer and where we're located so that that r- strikes you if you're in a community not served by folks that we're talking to this morning very likely they may have websites and, and that kind of information public information how to get in touch mm-hmm. Katie how about Healthy Acadia HealthyAcadia.org is our website. Um, our phone number is 288-5331. Um, and uh, we're always interested in, in hearing from folks about our initiatives and, uh, and where, where you think we might be able to connect with, with what you've got going on. Great. And Marjorie, how about uh, Maine Harvest for Hunger and, and uh, the Master Gardener programs? Yes. If you'd uh, like to find out more about either of those, you can contact me at the Hancock County Extension Office. We have an 800 number, 1-800-287-1479. Great. And, and the uh, main harvest for Hunker is statewide, and, and there are cooperative extension offices in each county, so uh, folks can reach them there. Right. Well, what are your hopes? Um, what, uh, maybe start with Marjorie and work our way, um, ending with, with uh, Kate. What, what, what are your hopes in terms of this issue of how local people respond to hunger? Well, I really like what we're doing right now, trying to get um, people to grow food for the hungry, but I'd really love to see more effort on teaching um, everyone how to grow their own food, so everyone has the power mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. And you're working um, a lot with young people um, and teachers to, to help with that, because many times uh, food gets passed, the, the ability to grow food is passed on family to family. That's right. And you're trying to encourage that. Right. We have some, uh, we've taught some courses at the extension office for school staff um, to start up school gardens so they can integrate that into their curriculum as Mm. well. 
and, and Katie, your, your work on, on uh, farm to food, uh, farm to school rather, uh, fits right in. But what are your hopes? What are your hopes for around this issue? Um, I'd like to see everybody in, in Hancock County and the state of Maine have access to, you know, fresh, affordable food that, you know, sustains them and enables them to live healthy lives. It's it's sad to know that when people are struggling financially, food is often the, the item that is kind of pushed off first. So that's the item that they might go without um, or, or start buying, you know, lower quality food um, in order to, you know, make their budget work for their family. Um, you know, next might be um, heat or medicine, and, and it kind of goes down the line of the basic necessities that people have, rent and all of those other priorities. And unfortunately, food is uh, seen as kind of expendable in the budget. Um, and um, so I'd like to see um, a situation where people don't have to make that choice. And some of the work that we're doing trying to... Um, you know, create um, easier access to fresh produce and um, support some of the existing um, um, federal programs like the Senior Farm Share Program and others um, to make it easier for people to access those programs um, hopefully will we'll help with that situation. Mm. So work both at the local level and at the policy level. Great. And uh, how about uh, Kate McGinn? What, what's your, what are your hopes around this issue of food pantry? Would you like to see the food pantry go out of business? Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, That's funny. That's always an um, interesting <laughs> question. Yeah, I guess ideally you would like to not have a need for these food pantries. But as long as we're here, uh, my, my hope is that, um, and I have seen this change over the years too, that um, people can start learning to uh, put meals on the table that aren't big packaged meals and stuff. Uh, we put a lot of grains and and uh, raw baking materials on our shelves, and I see people taking those things more and going home and making their own breads and making their own pasta sauce and and um, taking the kale and the Swiss chard that we have available instead of just leaving it there and figuring out how to do things with that. Because I think if you get if you get creative and motivated, there is there is food available and things to do with that. Um, it's hurricane season again. Great, great. <laughs> well, I, I th thank you all, and I want to thank uh, Donna Yellen, who was with us earlier um, by phone, and her work uh, with the um, main hunger initiative so all of you thank you so much we've come to that time when i want to remind you that this program was produced with support from cooperative extension and the hancock county extension association with offices in each county cooperative extension is the major educational outreach program of the university of maine our radio collaboration with weru began in 1990 and continues with your support Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests, Donna Yellen of Preble Street, Katie Friedman, Healthy Acadia, Kate McGinn of the Baharwa Food Pantry, and Marjorie Peranto of Cooperative Extension, my colleague in the Hancock County office. Thanks to those of you who listened and called in with your questions and experience. Thanks to our underwriters at Maine Community Foundation. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. It's hurricane season again.